Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. All right, Seattle, welcome back. It's a brand new year and a brand new Happy Hour Radio show. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and... uh, Oh, gosh. The professor of Prosecco today. I'm super excited. I have a very important person who's on the line today. And we're going to talk about one of uh, the world's um, most revered or, or celebrated or popular sparkling wines. And it's called Prosecco. And uh, it has a long history. And uh, when we're thinking about the new year, I know this is January. You probably uh, opened up some bottles. But uh, perhaps it's, it's time to figure out what you were drinking, learn a little more about that. And, of course, that's what we do here on Happy Hour Radio. And of course, you ever miss a show it's happyhourradio.net and if you're on the twitter sphere it's at happy hr radio also got a facebook page and we love uh getting your responses and your questions and always happy to answer those and hope you made some great uh what do you call them new year's resolutions um it's always to uh drink better eat well be kinder and uh think about that moderation thing <laughs> to some degree i have two bottles of, of beautiful sparkling wine in front of me but one very generous and uh, important person on the phone. Uh, when we think about uh, Italy, we think about, of course, probably Tuscan wines and Piedmont wines, and we should be thinking about Prosecco as well. And uh, we have the CEO, the chief executive officer, uh, Inore Ceola, who is uh, here uh, representing Mionetto. And uh, Inore, um, all I know is French, Bienvenue, uh, Happy Hour Radio. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, super excited. Uh, Prosecco is, has been gaining so much popularity here as uh, the interest in wine uh, across America, of course, and all over the world increases. People are trying new new products. And I know Prosecco has gone through a little bit of a, um, a renaissance. And um, let's talk about that. First of all, let's talk about the the Mionetto company because we'll start there and that'll tell us where you are and how this whole thing started. So Mionetto is celebrating um, last year was 130 years and congratulations to that. But tell me the story about Mionetto. Oh, it's well, it's a very long story um, and, and it's rooted in the Prosecco wine. We started long, long, long time ago, 130 years, and throughout these years uh, we evolved. Um, as much as Prosecco basically evolved. Um, so at the beginning, was Prosecco was sold in, in big, uh, large barrels, and that's how we, we market Prosecco back then. And it was merely a wine sold uh, to one family to another. Uh, and But the real evolution of Prosecco started in the 1960, right after the, the two great world, uh, great world war, uh, when, when um, Sergio Mionetto finished his study from enologist, and then he started to really work at the winery, implement um, all the new technique to produce prosecco, and to and to produce prosecco and the prosecco that is known in this day. In early early 60s, in fact, he joined the company, introduced the Charmant method that allowed us to produce and bottle prosecco, and making sure that the prosecco can travel far away. Uh, maintaining its main uh, qualities, 
And in the 70s, we, we went out, outside Italy, we went in Germany, uh, then in Austria, in the 80s, in UK, then we start very softly in United States, but in the 80s, United States wasn't ready for Prosecco for sure. And finally, late in the 90s, we, we opened our office here in the United States, and that's where I joined the company. And from there, you know, like they say, uh, it's been history, you know? So, so it's very grateful where we are. Um, it's been an amazing uh, journey, and uh, to see what Prosecco has been um, growing and and its success of Prosecco in the United States so far. Well, it's uh, it's been a very attractive and fun beverage to share amongst friends. And of course, uh, when I'm out shopping for products, or just you know, the grocery store, or the Total Wine, or even the wine shops, Prosecco is one of those very very affordable. Uh, glass of bubbles or bottle of bubbles but i know that you know in italy we talk about tuscan wines and piedmontese wines and uh you know uh, umbrian wines but prosecco is is a little different because prosecco is not a grape let's talk about what prosecco is well prosecco is not a grape you're right it's a region now like champagne is a region the same way or cava so the grape for prosecco it's actually glera and and um, and this thing has been now in place since uh, the 2010 when the law changed and the consortium uh, was formed on on the prosecco region and that helped us to define uh, i would say protect the great wine that we have in italy because now only the sparkling wine pro- produced in the region of veneto, veneto and friuli can be called Prosecco, and the gla- and, and Glera is the grape. So you cannot produce Prosecco outside these two regions or outside Italy. Um, there are very good laws in in, um, in charge of protecting the quality of the Prosecco that comes and is produced in that region. And so that is a guarantee for consumer to making sure that the consumer gets uh, what Prosecco really mm, should taste. The true, yeah, the true expression of what Prosecco is meant to be. And we're talking about the regions in uh, the northeast of, of Italy, right? V- Verona and, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, you, the regions you said were? Veneto and Friuli. Yes, the Veneto and Friuli. And Friuli is known yeah. uh, for lots of Pinot Grigio, of course, and the Veneto right. is known for um, uh, Amarone and Valpolicella and... Um, Perhaps a little bit of uh, other sparkling wine, but so in in 2010 it was interesting because what was the name of the grape prior to Glera? Well, <laughs> the name of the gla- the name of the grape prior was we call it Prosecco. In reality, it wasn't because the name of the, the grape was always been Glera or Puccino. That's how we define the Prosecco, but. But with the new laws, we def- we we decided that it was better to to call the grape for what it is and make the name of the region Prosecco, and I think that was a turning point and a very important time for the Prosecco. Interesting, and uh, you know, Glare is one of those new names, especially as a sommelier. Uh, you know, we talk about um, it, it was kind of funny because it's it's not necessarily a very sexy name. It's not Cabernet Sauvignon or Sangiovese. You know, <laughs> the the term Glare is there a direct translation for what Glare is? No, I mean, if if you pick if you speak with someone in the region, they may tell you 
Glera, it's a very similar name of a slang for Gaia, which is um, stones. But the reality, for my knowledge, no, really, there's no translation for Glera. Okay. And uh, so Glera is actually a white grape, correct? Does it get any color in the skin, or is it really one of the green-yellow grapes? It's a green-yellow grape, but if you leave the skin in, co- for, in contact with the wine for a longer time, then you get a, a, a darker Prosecco, which is not exactly what it meant to be. Um, so the reality is you want to you wanna really split the skins from the juice immediately because that will preserve the fragrance and the aromatic quality of the Prosecco uh, grape or the Glera grape. Yes, exactly. Now, I'm speaking with uh, Inore uh, Cheora, who is the CEO of the Mionero family. Uh, when, and do you guys produce strictly Prosecco? We... We are known for Prosecco, that's where we strive for, for it, but we do have a rosé, and um, we have an organic Prosecco, and we do have a very little, but just very little, Moscato, from, only from the Veneto. I see, and Moscato is one of those, uh, this, Moscato might be the new white Zinfandel of grapes for this generation, because it's, <laughs> it's so perfumey and floral, and with a little bit of sweetness, it's really um, a delicious coiffer, and of course they make a lot of Moscato close to you over in the Piedmont region, of course, right? Correct, correct. Excellent. Yep. So how many Prosecco houses are there? I know that when I took this uh, seminar a couple months ago last year down in San Diego at SOMCON, we had this wonderful uh, tasting and uh, presentation on Prosecco. Uh, I remember there, the region was um, re- a pretty good size, but can you give us a little USA continental uh, uh, analogy or, or comparison of how big the region of Prosecco is? How big the regional Prosecco is. So, probably, I would say, is as big as uh, Washington State. If ah. you put it together, I don't think it's bigger than Washington State. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay, so... Th- that, that's the size. When you put, uh, when you put uh, Friuli and, and um, Friuli and Veneto together, it's probably around the Washington State. Um, a little bit smaller. Uh, in that the region where, where Prosecco is produced, of course, the vineyards are is a little smaller because the vineyards are not. We don't have vineyards everywhere, um, but there are probably about five thousand between farmers and producers in the area. Uh, but there are only probably about two hundred, two hundred and fifty winery, real winery that produce and label Prosecco. I see. And uh, it's an ubiquitous grape now, uh, or I should say a product, because you'll see it all the time. I'm, we're so surprised. I think one of the benefits of being in the United States is when we, we see Italian wines, there's such a great value. And I know that uh, uh, there's lots of Prosecco out there that can be under $15. But you guys produce, actually, Mionetto produces some very special wines. Tell me about these two wines that are two wines that you've produced, uh, the, the Cartezzi you know, and then the Cuvée Anniversaire. Yes. So we, you know, we're we popular or we are, we are known for our Prosecco Brut, which is the one with the uh, slanted uh, label orange. But, um, to, you know, we to make sure that people understand our ladder of quality and, and how much we are connected to the terroir and, and the fact that we are, a, 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 you know, a very historic producer, we want to make sure that we give, uh, we bring to the market um, some some 
some of the greatest prosecco that is, we can produce. So one is the cuvée anniversario, uh, which is basically a cuvée that our uh, winemaker uh, put together especially to celebrate the 130-year anniversary of Mioneto, and, and the other one is Cartizze. So the, the Cuvée, it's a Brut Nature, which is a very unique thing for Prosecco because most of the Prosecco, usually when you find in the stores, are dry or extra dry or Brut. But to have, to have a Prosecco uh, Brut Nature, which is basically zero residual sugar, and to have a very, a very good one is very difficult because usually Prosecco being an aromatic grape expresses all of its quality with the addition of a little bit of sugar. So, so in this case, I think Alessio, the winemaker, really had a, made a fantastic Prosecco because it, the balance with the fruitiness, having zero sugar and the acidity, it's really, really amazingly done. Um, the other is the Cartizze, and Cartizze is, um, is basically a sub-region of the Prosecco DOCG. It's a small, small area. It's a little piece of land in between two little hills, little valley, and um, it's only 120 hectares of uh, vineyards, and it's unique because the exposure of, 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 the, of the sun, the terroir, the altitude, and the location, it really makes uh, the perfect combination to get the best Prosecco that you can have. Um, it's right in the middle of, uh, of the, the, the heart of the Prosecco. It, it benefits from the warm day and warm winds during the day uh, from, the, from the sea, and then cold air during the night from the Alps. And, and that unique microclimate really makes the grapes mature differently than anywhere else in Valdobbiadene or Conegliano. Well, I love it. Uh, I'm super excited. We're going to take a little break, but I do have both of these bottles, the Cuve Anniversario and the Cartizze, uh, both from Mionero, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Inore Ceola, and who is the CEO of Mionero Prosecco, based in the Veneto of Italy. Hey, folks, stick around. I'm going to sip some of these beautiful bubbles, and we'll chat more with the CEO of Mionero Prosecco right here on Happy Hour Radio. A Northwest original, Lars Larson, live weekdays, noon to 3, Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. That's right, Seattle. Hey, Happy New Year Radio. Uh, it's, uh, I've got two beautiful bottles of Prosecco in front of me, and I've got two glasses and two hands. How about that? I've got one very special gentleman on the other end of the line. He's calling from New York on this beautiful Saturday night. Inore Ceola, who is the CEO of the uh, 130-year-old Mineto family, which, uh, or sorry, Mioneto family, which is producing um, some of the, uh, the best Prosecco. And I've got uh, two fabulous bottles here. But let's talk about Prosecco. Um, you know, Prosecco is a, a region. It is a style of wine, if you will, and it's a style of sparkling wine. Now, Inore, are there specific restrictions or guidelines like you do have uh, some rules for the appellation or the uh, denomination origin contrôle garantita? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we learn a lot from the French, as you described it. Uh, so there are restrictions, the restriction on, on, on how many 
um, vines you can have per, per hectare, uh, the yield uh, per, per hectare. And then the other uh, last quality control is uh, the taste profile you know, after the second fermentation is done. So today I will say the consumer has a lot more quality control and checks that mm, ever in place to, to make sure that we, we put on a shelf a very good Prosecco. So it's great. It's great. And it's a good moment. Some of the sweetness levels, um, obviously we have a Brut Nature, which means there's basically no sugar added. And we're talking about three up to three grams per liter, but we're talking, you know, three little... Uh, Three grams of sugar, which is basically a sugar packet and a half, maybe, uh, into 33 ounces of fluid. Um, what are some of the levels of sweetness we have for Prosecco? Well, different levels. I mean, the, I think the most popular right now is the Brut, which is between 6 and, and 12 grams per liter. Uh, then you see a lot of other Prosecco in the marketplace, uh, extra dry, which are, you know, from... 12 to 20, 18, 20, and then you have demi-sec, or actually oh, dry. Um, so the different level, I, I will say the most popular are brut and extra dry. Extra dry, which is funny. I thought, you know, we take a lot from the French, but perhaps the Italians could have said uh, a little less dry <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead of extra dry. It confuses yeah. people. But um, I'm I'm dying of thirst. I'm ready to dive into uh, this Cuvée Anniversario. And I have to tell you, this is made from 100% glare grape. And when we think about sparkling wines, first of all, we think about blends typically. But this is, a, this is one single grape which is inside this. And and also, when we think about why sparkling wines tend to be expensive, whether it's champagne or perhaps this particular cuvee, um, it's because you take time to produce it. And some of the flavors you find, obviously you get fruit flavors and aromas, a little bit of sweetness, and our brains are trained because we like, we like ripe fruit, and so all those phenols and flavors in our mind are, co- are complemented by a little bit of sugar. Now, this cuvee anniversario, this is almost completely dry. It's less than three grams per liter. And I tell you, I just took a sip and as an advanced sommelier and as a wine guy and someone been in the industry a long time, you know, Prosecco is one of those fun for me was always a, a perfect brunch uh, bubbles. The, the alcohol is not quite as high. It's typically an 11%. And it goes great with a little citrus, um, orange juice or pineapple juice, whatever you have. But this Cuvée Anniversario, this is one of the prettiest wines I've, I've, I've had um, on the show. Well, thank you. That's a big compliment. It is, um, because the acidity here is just medium plus. It's not high, which is great, because sometimes... It can be too sharp, and that's why they add sugar to these sparkling wines, because that acidity helps them age, of course. Um, but this wine also has a little bit of autolysis, or that, that lazy bread crust or brioche note on the finish. So you obviously see some times on the lees. Now, what I don't think our listeners might understand is that there's several ways to put bubbles into a liquid. And the Charmat process is um, was somewhat derided because it seemed to be too simple of a way. But in this way, it's also uh, an easy way to keep the price down. Isn't that right? It's correct. I mean, the, the Charmat method is not, is not an expensive method per se, but it's the best method for Prosecco. Um, because, you know, Prosecco being aromatic, you want to preserve the fruit notes flavor of, of the grape, and that's what Charmat method does. 
Um, you can have a Prosecco uh, made with the traditional method, like champagne in the bottle, but I can assure you that uh, it's not going to be a very, very pretty Prosecco because Prosecco is not a very um, st structured grape that can hold second fermentation and long fermentation in a bottle. It will it will not be able to hold it very well. Right. So basically, we're talking about a just a larger quantity of wine. Um, Getting that secondary ferment, the, the sparkling, the uh, petillant, the sparkle in it, just uh, at one time versus having a uh, hundred thousand bottles to try to worry about that. Well, you do it all in one vat, and then you add it to the bottle. So it's more of a simple process. This cuvee anniversario is this is this available all year round? Have you produced enough so that my listeners can enjoy it as well? Well, we we produced enough. To to be available in the United States for a, for a connoisseur, we think. You know, we produce a number 10,000 bottles. Uh, we start to sell it a few weeks ago, and uh, we still have some available, but it'll be soon gone. So well, we're excited. It's not going to be available all year long because it's a special release. But I have to tell you, with the feedback has been so positive, especially from people like you in the sommelier community, that... Uh, Alessio and myself and other people in the in the winery they're already talking about okay what do we do next because this style is is something that uh, is very intriguing and uh, we want to keep doing it. Excellent. And as we 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 all know, even as children, we love sweets. But as we get older, we like sweets, but just not as often. And our palate uh, begins to appreciate truffles and mushrooms and spinach and Brussels sprouts, the things we don't necessarily like as children. And as we grow as consumers in the wine industry, uh, less sugar is becoming more attractive to some of our palates. Um, this particular wine comes from a little region called the Valdobbiadene region, which is in Prosecco. And the next wine, the Cartizze, the DOCG, is from uh, the little area of Conigliano, Valdobbiadene? Correct. It's, it's a little area between the two main uh, towns of Prosecco. Correct. So the Cartizze. Now, this is a very um, great contrast in, in wine sweetness and uh, the Cuvée Anniversario has just less than three grams per liter, but the Cartizze, um, this is actually sort of a demi-sec. Would that be the label, right? Demi-sec, or would be what? We, we call it dry, but it's borderline with demi-sec, yes. Right, and that's just a matter. You know, we talk about sugar, and it's not always amount, the amount of sugar. It's the amount of lemons or the amount of acid in the wine, because if I told you there was a cup of sugar in that wine, but there's only one lemon, you'd think it's sweet. But if I told you there's a 1,000 lemons in that, it would be very, very dry-tasting or sour. Now, let's talk about this cartice. The, the name means what? What? The name is actually a little, little tiny town uh, within within the the area. That's called Cartizze. It's like we call it a frazione, and and so that's where the names come from. And there is a big rock with the, that says "We are in Cartizze." It's pretty unique, right in the middle of of the region of, of the town. I like that. I was just in uh, the Northern Rhone area, and they have a couple signs up there, too, uh, like Cote Roti and, of course, uh, Gigal, and, uh, Gigal, as it were. So I'm tasting this wine. Now, I'm surprised. This has 24-plus grams per liter of sugar, but the acidity is perfectly balanced. This doesn't taste sweet to me, but the sweetness just accents the lovely fruit in this Prosecco. It's right. 
And, and that's the secret of Cartite, and I will say even the secret of Mionato, no? the perfectly balanced acidity, sugar, and alcohol. And when you do that, uh, then you get a wonderful sparkling wine. Is this? Uh, do you produce a little more of this? Is this available all year round? Because the obviously the anniversario is ten thousand is limited production because of the big anniversary, hundred thirty years. But tell me, what's the production for Cartice? Uh, we produce about seventy thousand bottles of Cartice a year, and we bring in the United States about um, four hundred cases a year, and we reserve that for restaurants mostly because that's. You know, it's people like you, that they, under, they understand and they, they can sell it. It's a hand sell in a restaurant because it is quite expensive. We, uh, it's in a shelf, usually on a shelf it's about $35. In a restaurant it's 60 to $70 for a bottle. Well, um, I, I think we need to create a new term for this elegant style of Prosecco, uh, only to differentiate it. And, and you know, it, it, it has to be something. And maybe it's satin or what is S-A-T-E-N or silky or something. It's so delicious. If people want more information, do you have a website that we can find? Yes. You can go on uh, mionetousa.com or M-I-O-N-E-T-T-O-U-S-A.com. And uh, right there you can find a little tour about the vineyard or, or all the, the products that we produce and import in the United States. I love it. Um, this is a really fun opportunity for me to appreciate the quality levels of people who are serious about a wine. You know, there's there's Pinot Grigio out there, and there's really great Pinot Grigio. And I know that sometimes people don't understand if what makes something great. But I tell you, folks, hey, this Mionetto Cuvée Anniversario and the Cartice is fantastic. Inore uh, Ceola, thanks so much for sharing the Mionetto Prosecco uh, story with me here on Happy Hour Radio. Christopher, thank you very much for having me on your show, and it's been a pleasure talking about Mioneto and Prosecco. Well, a toast to you. Happy New Year. A Northwest original. Lars Larson, live weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, welcome back. It's time for round three. And, uh, well, there's only two of us in studio right now. I've got my old pal, uh, fellow sommelier, Ron Plunkett. Ronald Plunkett and works for, he's the estate sommelier down in Napa Valley, living the dream. And he works for uh, one of the really sweetest estates that I've ever been to. In fact, I was there for a wedding reception or a pre-reception and I uh, had a great time. It's called Signorello. And unfortunately, with all the fires, um, that one got gobbled up. But uh, we're going to talk about it with Ron. So, hey, Ron Plunkett, welcome to Happy Hour. It's a pleasure to be here, Chris. Yeah, welcome back to Seattle. It's been a long time. I know I saw you down in San Diego last year at SOMCON. Yeah, that, that was fun. And, uh, of course, being in the wine industry, we were all watching with... Uh, well, almost helplessly, as you were, I'm sure, uh, with the devastation of the fires down there in Napa Valley. But first, before we get to that, let's talk about you. How did you get in the wine biz? Um, so I have kind of a, a, a varied background. Um, I was in law enforcement for 21 years. Uh, I worked for the Solano County Sheriff's Department. Uh, we're right next door to uh, Napa. So I'd been uh, uh, on the Sheriff's Department about three months. Went wine tasting with some friends over in Napa. And like, well, it's kind of good stuff. I kind of like 21 this. years ago? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, actually, over, uh, over 21 years ago. Uh, I'm an old kind of guy. <laughs> um, so I uh, discovered wine, developed a passion for it. Um, 
met my wife about a month later, or what would become my wife. I took her wine taster, got her blotto drunk, married her five days later. 27 years That's still together. That's the secret, huh? All I just right. keep her in a drunken stupor. <laughs> well, it must work. Yeah, she so must be happy. I retired after 21 years. Uh, I studied at the International Culinary Center in Campbell, their sommelier program under David Glancy. Oh, yeah. Uh, graduated, uh, worked at a small family winery in Sassoon Valley known as Visor Family Vineyards. They bought a restaurant. I became the de facto wine director. Yeah. Uh, kind of got thrown under the bus, but it was a fun learning experience. Uh, <laughs> from there, I was recruited to open up Hakkasan in San Francisco. Really? Uh, I was promoted after about a year to the wine director. From there, I jumped over to Wayfair Tavern, Tower Florence's restaurant. I was the beverage director there. And then most recently, before senior, I was the wine director at Ame at the St. Regis in oh, San wow. Francisco, Michelin Star Restaurant. Yeah. Uh, we went out of business, and uh, senior, I was looking for a staff sommelier, and I jumped on board. So I've been there a little over two and a half years now. Well, congratulations. And uh, I remember I was at Hakkasan a couple years back for the Chandra uh, Sir Jeune Sommelier yes. competition where Jeremy Morehouse, now Master Sommelier Jeremy Morehouse, uh, had won that event. And uh, that's cool to know. I didn't realize that you had such uh, such restaurant shops. Um, you know, it's funny because we see each other in our, in our current uh, iteration and we like to think about that. But, wow, you were a police for a law enforcement. Do you still got the vest? Do you ever wear that out to? <laughs> uh, I am the only, as um, far as I'm aware, I'm the only sommelier in the state of California can legally carry a concealed weapon, so I do have that going for me. <laughs> That's great. You know, we're going to buy or arrest you or something like that. Well, it's pretty funny. Um, so, Senior L, let's talk about the winery. Uh, how, when was it founded? Who, who founded it, and uh, who's making the wine? So, it was uh, founded in 1977 by a gentleman named Ray Senior L Senior and his wife Mary Helen. Uh, they purchased it in '77. It actually used to be a ranch for retired thoroughbred racehorses. Uh, so we like to say there's some nutrients left over in the soil. Oh, yeah, for sure. So uh, purchased the land. Uh, they were in, intending to build a pied-à-terre. And, uh, Wait, say a pied-à-terre? A so, pied-à-terre. So that uh, means... A weekend retreat. Got fun. it. All right. So uh, that actually never transpired. Uh, they decided, hey, let's plant some vines. We're in Napa. So they planted five acres of Chardonnay back in 1980. Oh. Uh, for several years, we were just a grape grower. We supplied makes sense after that. Following the judgment of Paris there in '76, right? Exactly. Uh huh. So uh, we just supplied grapes to other wineries: Cake Bread, Camus, uh, Cuvée Saint, a few others. Then in '85, we started producing our Cuvée own wines. Wow, there's a name. So we're a tiny property, hundred acres, only which forty-two are planted to vine. Our winemaker has been with us uh, twenty harvests now. His name's Pierre Berbant. He's a uh, crazy mad Frenchman from the island of Corsica, so of course he thinks he's Napoleon. Uh, At least he doesn't think he's Italian. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little bit by. Uh, okay. Pretty cool. So the winemaker's been there forever, and um, production has grown. Was the first wine actually Chardonnay then? Y yes. Uh, first thing we uh, produce was Chardonnay. Uh, we do, most of our uh, wine is a state. We do source Pinot Noir. That's the only thing that we source. Let's talk about the wines that are produced in Signorello Estate. And I, I understand that, well, um, Let's talk about the fire. Obviously, the Definitely. fire came. It was devastating. It was the largest f fire in the Sonoma County region, I think, in Napa County yeah. ever. Um, what happened? So, um, it was. I just returned from Myrtle Beach on Sunday before the fire hit that night, and it was really windy, and we noticed the winds. Uh, that morning, I uh, woke up to my cell phone blowing up, and I had all these messages. The winery burned down. Well, I looked at it, and I'm like, this can't be real. What do you mean the winery burned down? So I started looking at the news. Oh, my God, it did burn down. And you're in a state of shock. So uh, right then, our owner actually called Ray. Hey, Ron, is there any way you can get up there to check on it? So we didn't know what 
if we'd lost or we, we knew the structure was on fire, but we didn't know at that time if there was any damage to the vines. Uh, luckily, when we were able to get up there, none of the vines were damaged whatsoever. So that was the most excellent news, along with being no one was injured uh, out of, uh, from our company. And harvest was? Harvest was complete. Yeah. So we just uh, picked like two days before our last uh, round of uh, picking. Uh, grapes were in fermentation. That was not hit by the fire, nor was our storage facility. So we lost a small amount of Because that has happened before in yes. the annals of history down in Napa. I remember 2005. Yes. And uh, uh, we actually lost a large volume in that fire. We had our wine stored off-site there. Um, so, yeah, we were... Ray's been through a fire before. Uh, <laughs> this was different. Luckily, no, not a whole lot of product was lost. Uh, just... Our tasting facility, and unfortunately, is family home. Right. Well, let's talk about that beautiful estate, because I remember it was just off the highway up the hill on the east side. I think it was on the highway, right? Yeah, so it's on the Silverado Trail. Yeah. Um, We're in the southern end of the valley. We're kind of right in between Dariush and James Cole. So we're outside. We're just across the street from the Oak No AVA and about a half a mile up from the Stag's Leap. So we're in Napa Valley AVA. Right. And uh, I remember it was such a beautiful property. You had a swimming pool. Only Infinity Edge swimming pool at a winery that I'm aware of. <laughs> uh, luckily, that that's still there. Uh, we are rebuilding already, so we've already yeah. contracted an architect. Uh, we already have the plans drawn up. So uh, Ray hit the ground running uh, after the fire. He he was like, "No, we're going to rebuild." Wow. Well, that's exciting to to have that fortitude to to recover, and I think that's what makes uh, America great again. Which yes, is fun. And of course, a mission for some wine. So uh, you brought a couple wines today. Um, let's talk about the the portfolio of Signorello Estate. So um, we we do several wines. Uh, we do several whites and several reds. We're known uh, primarily for our cabs. Uh, we do a really fun white wine uh, that's only winery direct when uh, folks would visit us. We are rebuilding, so when we do reopen, you'll be able to try this again. It's a wine we've named Uvaggio. Uh, I know I can't use my hands here, but normally when I say it, uh, it's Italian, so you've got to use your hands. <laughs> Uvaggio in Italian means blend. Uh, and it's a blend of Semillon, Semillon Blanc, Viognier, and Chardonnay. I think we had that yes. that time when we were down there at the, in the estate, drinking that for the bridal party. It was great. Well. Whatever group yeah. party, <laughs> it, it's a fun wine. Uh, then we do a uh, kind of our version of a white Bordeaux. It's uh, called Seta, uh, Italian for silk. Yes, uh, it's a Semillon Sauvignon Blanc blend. I remember that name. I remember uh, having tasting it at the my old John at the Rainier Club when I was the director there. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was good stuff. Uh, then our Chardonnay, uh, we do our Hopes Cuvée. Uh, that's named in honor of uh, Ray Senior's wife, uh, uh, Mary Helen. Unfortunately, she passed away in '95, so we do a wine to honor her. We've named Hopes Cuvée. Comes from our five acres of Chardonnay on the property. At this point in time, it is actually the oldest Chardonnay vines in that part of Napa. Wow. Okay, and you said Pinot Noir. And we do source Pinot Noir. Uh, we do a really nice uh, bottling from uh, the Caneros region. Uh, we actually uh, purchase it from the Las Amigas Vineyard. It's one of uh, the Beckstoffer holdings. Okay. So we want to buy from one of the best. So sure. that, uh, that's the only thing we actually buy. Excellent. Uh, so y- how many Cabernets do you produce? Uh, so we do our Estate Cab and our Padrone. Padrone. Yeah, so right. Padrone is our, our big dog. It's uh, named in honor of Ray Sr., our founder. His nickname was the Big Padrone. Uh, Ray Sr. actually used to carry business cards that said Big Padrone in his wallet. Uh, <laughs> the family's from Sicily, so I'll let you come to your own conclusion on that. Um, so he unfortunately passed away in 98, so Ray Jr. and our winemaker Pierre want to make a wine to honor him as well. That's why we've named it Padrone. That's cool. And uh, is everything sourced for, for outside of the Pinot Noir, everything sourced for the uh, it estate? It is all estate. 
Uh, that's great. Um, what's a website that people can go to, to to learn more about Seniorello? So it's just www.seniorelloestate.com. Seniorelloestate.com. And can people buy wines online? Uh, no, they actually have to uh, go to the website or they can call us. Okay. Um, if I can give you the number, it's uh, 707-255-5990. Okay. Got it. Excellent. And do you have a wine club by chance? Or? Yes. Uh, we have an allocation list. Oh, an so, allocation. So uh, you're, you're on an allocation, so it's not a wine club per se. Uh, we're a little bit smaller than that. On our state wines, we do a little less than 5,000 cases, so we're definitely a microwinery. Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's good news because that's really the... Uh, that's that's a minute quantity when it comes to Napa Valley. Definitely. Yeah. So cool. Speaking with Ron Plunkett, who is the estate sommelier for uh, Signorello Estates. That's SignoreloEstate.com. Uh, they have uh, seven wines, did I say? Or six wines. Six or seven, it rotates. Six or seven, yeah. yep. Okay, cool. Hey, when we come back from this break, we're going to try two wines. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back with Ron Plunkett of Signorello Estate right here on Happy Hour Radio. Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Somalia, Christopher Chan. All right, folks, hope you're having a great Saturday night. It's time for our fourth and final segment, and I've got four glasses of wine in front of me, but only two are mine, and two are my pal... Ron Plunkett, the estate sommelier for the Signorello Estate Wines down in Napa Valley. They are rebuilding after the uh, horrendous fire down there, um, but they still got wine in the bottle, which is fantastic. So, Ron, you've got a, a beautiful Chardonnay in front of me. Let's talk about this. So, uh, this is our 2014 Hopes Cuvée Chardonnay. As I uh, said before in the last segment, uh, it's named in honor of our founder, uh, Mary Helen. Her nickname was Hope. Uh, she passed away in 1995. So, we have a little... A little less than five acres planted on the property, so tiny production on this. We're really persnickety on our fruit. We hand harvest all our fruit at the estate. No machine harvesting whatsoever. We, on average, get only about a ton and a half per acre, so we make a wow. minuscule uh, volume of this. That's small for Chardonnay, because it can bulk up. Yes, it can. Uh, we're, we're really persnickety on our fruit. Uh-huh. And, as I said, they're some of the oldest, are the oldest Chardonnay vines in that end of Napa. Uh, they're 38 years old. Okay. So, uh, Pierre... Uh, comes from a European sensibility, as does our owner, Ray Sr. So uh, it's not your typical Cali Chardonnay. Uh, a little bit leaner. Uh, if I had to compare it to anything, I know this uh, word gets bandied around a lot, but it's a lot more Burgundian in style. Uh, partial malolactic conversion, only about 50%. And the oak regimen is very subdued as well. Only eight months and only about 10% new French oak. Wow. Well, it's got great texture, first of all, when you think about white wines. And in the wintertime, as we are now, it's sometimes hard to drink a white wine, but I always suggest Napa Valley Chardonnay, because to me, you get the warmth of that that type of grape and that type of winemaking. Definitely, definitely. Um, It's a little bit, uh, you know... A little bit more alcohol typically than you'd get, and so it does you know have a little bit more body, I think. So, uh, and it's it's a beautiful wine. And what I like is that you do actually have some natural acidity there, because um, I was asking you off air about the malolactic fermentation. I thought it was seventy because that texture is, is is nice and round, um, but also that's probably from barrel because you get to to sand uh, smooth this, the the uh, rough edges on wine. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing, uh, Pierre does harvest a little bit lower bricks level than some of our neighbors, and we are a cooler part of Napa, so. 
also being on a, that southern end, Napa runs north to south. The, for the south, you go, it actually gets cooler because we're closer to the San Francisco Bay. Oh. So you get more of a fog inlet right there. So we're, we're a little bit cooler. All right. Now, uh, we talk about Chardonnay and we talk about clones. Is this Wente clone or is this a Dijon uh, so clone? This or? is a field clone. Field clone? Yes. Uh, Selection Massal, huh? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's really tasty. What does a bottle like this run? Uh, uh, so this uh, retails for $90 a bottle. All right. Um, that is very Burgundian. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I know we don't talk about scores, but several of the critics have uh, uh, gave us some uh, really nice scores on this wine. Excellent. Um, hopefully uh, that's working. Now, it's delicious. I, I love it because I, it's hard to buy California Napa Shard sometimes, um, A, because it's one of those investments, B, because you're not sure what what the vintage was like. How was 14 as a vintage? So uh, we've had a great run in Napa, 12, 13, 14, 15. Uh, we were in a drought. Uh, drought in winemaking is actually a kind of a good thing. So nice, even growing. Uh, 14, phenomenal. So they say if you couldn't make good wine in 13 and 14, it's time to give it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's talk about this next wine. This is a red wine. What would you, you bring me? I brought you our 2012 Estate Cabernet Sauvignon. So this is a blend of uh, Cabernet and a 6.5% uh, 6. Cab Franc. You said 2012? 2012. Yeah. I, first uh, thing I got was this very herbaceous note on yes. it. Yes. Uh, Pierre likes, uh, as does Ray, as I said, a more European sensibility. This is a lot more Bordelais in style. Wow. Uh, oak regimen, uh, 21 months, only about uh, 40% new oak barrel, uh, so we don't oak anything uh, that heavily. Um, very rounded wine. Uh, I call this my juxtaposition wine. Juxtaposition? What I, well, what I mean by that, when you sip on it, you do get those tannins, but then those the acid starts ripping through, and you start salivating, so you're, you're, you're in a little bit of confusion. It's dry and wet at the same time. Mm. Well, definitely the tannins do dry you, but the acidity does give you, and it's a juicy acidity. Um, it, it is Bordelais-like uh, on, a, on a moderate year for Bordeaux, where you have some nice, bright acidity. Matched by some ripe fruit, and that's the beauty of uh, the new world, that mm -hmm. you get the great sunshine and the, the daylight hours and the heat, of course. Um, but uh, this is a very balanced wine, too. Did you open this last night? I opened it this morning. This morning, because it, I guess by pouring it, you've already had some oxygenation going on there. It's, it tastes like it's been decanted, because it's, it's very, not only say soft, it's gently firm. Yes. Uh, delicious. And this is the Padrone, you said? No, this is the Estate, the estate. Uh, Cabernet. Okay. Uh, we do our highest level, which is our Padrone. Um, we make a tiny amount of that. Uh, usually about 500 six-packs a year. Okay. And we don't make it every year. All right. Wow. Well, what a treat. It's great to uh, warm up on this cold winter evening uh, with uh, some great Signorella Estate wines. My pal Ron Plunkett, the Estate Sommelier. Uh, SignorellaEstate.com. People can order the wine and find it here at some, some great restaurants yes. and some uh, wine shops. Hey, Ron Plunkett, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. It is my pleasure to be here, sir. Awesome. Hey, folks, uh, dig into some Cali Shard. Uh, Signorellas make a great wine. Um, share it with your friends. And remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers. Cheers.